Chapter Nine of Observations of an Orderly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Observations of an Orderly by Ward Muir. Chapter Nine on Buttons. In one of his recent books, Mr. H. G. Wells expresses a surprised annoyance at the spectacle of spurs. Vast numbers of military gentlemen, he observed at the front, go clanking about in spurs, although they have never had, and never will have, occasion to bestride a horse. Spurs are a symbolic survival, a waste of steel and of labor in manufacture. A futile expenditure of energy to keep clean and to put on and take off. When I first enlisted, I felt a similar irritation in regard to buttons. His buttons are a burden to the new recruit. Time takes the edge off his resentment. Time is a soother of sorrows, a healer of rancors, however legitimate. Nevertheless, one's buttons remain forever a nuisance. I do not complain that I should have to make my bed, polish my boots, keep my clothes neat. These are the obvious decencies of life. But the daily shining up of metal buttons, which need never have been made of metal at all, which tarnish in the damp, and indeed lose their luster in an hour in any weather, which, moreover, look much prettier dull than bright, this is enough to convert the most bloodthirsty recruit into obdurate pacifism. It is to be presumed that in the pipe-claying days of peace the hours were apt to hang heavy in barracks, and the furbishing of buttons was devised not alone for smartness' sake, but to occupy idle hands for which otherwise Satan might be finding some more mischievous employment. The theory, though it throws a lurid light on the unprofitableness of a soldier's profession when there is no war to justify his existence, is not devoid of sense. But why this custom, designed for that excellent mortal, the T. Atkins who walked out with nursemaids, and was none too busy between whiles, should be forced upon a totally different, if no less estimable, T. Atkins, whose job hardly gives him a moment for meals, let alone for dalliance with the fair, I cannot pretend to fathom. It is arguable that the ornamental soldier is suited by glossy buttons and may properly lavish time and trouble thereupon. It is not arguable that glossy buttons are a valid feature of the garb of a humdrum and harassed hospital orderly. Many a time, footsore and aching with novel toil, I could have groaned when, instead of lying down to relax, I had to tackle the polishing of that idiotic panoply of buttons. My tunic had, it still has, five large buttons in front, four pocket flap buttons, two shoulder buttons, and two shoulder numerals, T-R-A-M-C-London. My great coat had, it still has, five large front buttons, two shoulder buttons, and two shoulder numerals, three back belt buttons, two coat-tail buttons. My cap had, it still has, a badge and two small strap buttons. All these must be kept brilliant. And, in addition, there is the intricate brass work of one's belt. Are the wounded any better looked after, because a tired orderly has spent some of his off-duty rest hour in rubbing metal buttons, which would have been every bit as buttonable had they been made of bone? 
Many were the debates, in our hut, over the button problem, the abolition of metal buttons being impracticable, the bold project of a petition to the King and Lord Kitchener was never proceeded with. Two questions alone interested us. One, which was the best polish, and two, which was the quickest and easiest system of polishing? The shabby peddler-cum-bootmaker, who had somehow established, at that period, a monopoly of the minor trade of our camp, vended a substance in penny tins called Soldier's Friend. This was a solidified plate polish of a pink hue. Having, as per the instructions, moistened it, in other words, spat upon it, you worked up a modicum of the resulting pink mud with an old toothbrush, then applied same to each button. When you had rubbed a pink film onto the button, you proceeded to rub it off again, and lo, the tarnish had departed like an evil dream, and the metal glistened as if fresh from the mint. If you were very particular, you finished the performance with chamois leather. Thereafter you lost the last precious five minutes before parade in efforts, with knife-blade or clothes-brush, to remove from your tunic the smears of pink paste, which had failed to repose on the buttons, and had stuck to the surrounding cloth instead. Luckily, soldier's friend dries and cakes and powders off very quickly. It is a lovable substance, in its simple behavior, its lack of complications. I surmise that somebody has made a fortune out of manufacturing millions of those penny tins. There is at least one imitation of soldier's friend on the market, and, like most imitations, it is neither better nor worse than the original. Except for the name on the outside of the tin, the two commodities cannot be told apart. No doubt the imitator has likewise made a fortune. If so, both fortunes have been amassed from a foible to whose blatant uselessness and wastefulness even a Bond Street jeweler or a deluxe hotel chef would be ashamed to give countenance. One member of the hut's company, more fastidious than his fellows, objected to expectorating on his soldier's friend. Rather than do so, he would tramp the fifty yards to our wash-place and obtain a couple of drops of water from the tap. The same man thought nothing of keeping a half-consumed ham, some decaying fruit, and an open pot of bovril all wrapped in his spare clothes in his box under the bed. That is, by the way, I am here concerned not with human nature, but with buttons. Plain water, however, was voted less effective than the more popular liquid. The scientifically minded had a notion that human spittle contained some acid which nature had evolved specially to assist the action of soldier's friend. I am bound to say that I was of the anti-plain water party myself. For a space I became an adherent of the experimentalists, who moistened their soldier's friend with methylated spirit alleging that the ensuing polish was more permanent. I lapsed. My small bottle of methylated spirit came to an end, and on reflection I was not sure that its superiority over spittle had been proved. Nothing in the English climate can make the sheen of metal buttons endure, at the outset, more than one day. Bluebell, Silvo, and the other chemico-frictional preparations in favor of which I ultimately abandoned soldier's friend are alike in this, that their virtue lies in frequent application, diligence, and elbow grease. They are, every one, excellent. Their inventors deserve our gratitude. 
but our gratitude to their inventors must be nothing compared with their inventor's gratitude to the person who decreed that the hard-pressed T. Atkins of the Great War should wear, at least in part, the same needless finery as the relatively odious T. Atkins of peace. May that despot, whoever he be, depart to a realm of bliss. I suppose it would be bliss to him, where he has to do hospital orderlies' chores in an attire completely composed of tarnishing buttons, every separate one of which must hourly be brought up to the parade standard of specklessness. End of chapter 9